0: Hello, I'm Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. And today in our podcast, we want to look at Psalm 10. Now, we discussed last time that Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 may have originally been one psalm. It is so identified in some of the ancient versions. You also notice that Psalm 10 doesn't have a title as most of the Psalms in Book 1 do. So all of that means that Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 may have been one Psalm. Now for our practical purposes, the reason that I say that is because today as we look at Psalm 10, we're going to invoke many of the things we learned last time from Psalm 9. But, in Psalm ten, in verses one and two, the New American Standard asks, "Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble in pride? the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. let them be caught in the plots which they have devised in ten one why As he protests God's activity or God's inactivity, why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now the phrase times of trouble was used in 9 verse 9. And there God is said to be a stronghold in the times of trouble But now, in Psalm 10 and verse 1, why do you stand afar off in times of trouble? God is hiding, and God seems to be hiding at the most inopportune times. Sometimes in the Psalms, we see the wicked taunt the righteous with the question, where is your God? Psalm 79 verse 10 as an example. The difficulty with that question for the godly person is sometimes he asks the same question. Where is our God? And so the psalmist asks, David ask, why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourselves in time of trouble? And he describes the wicked as hotly pursuing the afflicted in verse 2. He does this in his pride. This word, pride, used in verse 2, is sometimes used to describe the greatness, the glory, and the majesty of God. But when it's applied to man, it describes his arrogance. The wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Some writers stress that there is not the accumulation of terms I see the best way to say that. That in Psalms 9 and 10, we have more terms used to refer to the innocent, the afflicted, more terms like that that are used in Psalm 9 and 10 than any other two Psalms. In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be called in the plot which they have devised. Now there is some difficulty at the end of verse 2 as to who is caught in this plot. Is this a prayer uh, that the wicked will be caught in his own plot as the New American Standard and the ESV have it? Or is it uh, as the NIV has it, a statement the innocent will be called? Both of those can be defended. But verse 3 through 11 of the text are going to describe the wicked person. The description of the wicked person here is very similar to Psalm 73 in verses 3 through 12. In verse 3, the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. In verse 4, the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now, in verse 4, his thoughts are, there is no God. Again, this doesn't mean theoretically that he is an atheist. Practically, He is an atheist. Theoretically, he may acknowledge his existence, but practically it makes no difference in his life. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now we're going to find as we go throughout this section that often the words of the wicked are quoted. In verse 5, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high. Out of his sight. As for his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not be in adversity. Now again, this text is describing the wicked and his ways. And notice in verse 5, his ways seem to prosper at all times. The word times was used in verse 1, where the psalmist is asking, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist has his times of trouble, but it seems like in verse 5, the wicked man prospers at all times. And as he prospers, the text tells us he is confident that he will never be moved. Now the words used in verse six, I shall not be moved, are often the affirmation of the righteous in the book, in Psalm fifteen five, and Psalm sixteen eight. But here it is the wicked who is confident that his good times will go on forever. And he states here uh, that I will not be in adversity. He is confident that there was no one who will call him to account. In verse 7, his mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. It is the tongue of the wicked that they use to do their most their most their most horrible damage and notice how the wicked are described in verses 8 through 11 they're spoken of as murderers as lions stalking their prey as a hunter catching a helpless victim the text says in verse 9 verse 8 he sits in the lurking places of the villages this is the wicked he sits in the lurking places of the of the villages, in the hiding places he kills the innocent. He lurks in the hiding places as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has not forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see. Now again, notice all the terms used to refer to the victim's of the wicked man's violence. In verse 8, they are innocent. In verse 8, they are infor- unfortunate. In verse 9, they are afflicted. In verse 10, they are unfortunate. All of these terms used repeatedly in this psalm to describe the innocent, the helpless, victim of this wicked man. And this wicked man is lurking. He is hiding in places where he will not be seen. He is hiding and killing those who are innocent. He is like a lion sneaking up on its prey. And this image of a lion is often used to describe the wicked throughout the course of the book of Psalms. And while he does all of this, he thinks he will never be called to account as he states in verse 11, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see. Now, we emphasized at the beginning that we want to draw connections between Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. Psalm 9 is largely praising God. Psalm 10 is largely a lament. In Psalm 9, notice in verse 12, God does not forget The cry of the afflicted in verse 18 the needy will not always be forgotten but in 10 verse 11 the wicked person is assuring himself that God has indeed forgotten he has forgotten the person who is weak and afflicted so verses 3 through 11 describe the wicked person. Now you may recognize that verse 7 is quoted in Romans 3 and verse 14. And that again reminds us, just like Psalm 5, that it may be that this wicked person is us. It may be when we look at the wicked that we're looking at in the mirror. So we have to ask ourselves, are we behaving like this? But as this psalmist is being persecuted and afflicted by the wicked person, in Psalm um, ten and verse twelve, arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. In Psalm nine, verse nineteen, arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. These are the only two consecutive psalms which call on God to arise. Psalm 9, Psalm 10. And so Psalm 9, Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. In verse 11, the wicked person says God has forgotten. Verse 12 begs God to do what the wicked says he will. He has got, begs God not to do what the wicked says he has done. Do not forget the afflicted and lift up your hand. Um, oh God, lift up your hand. That is a phrase to act with hostility against one. In Second Samuel 20 verse 21, and he is begging God, do this to these who mistreat the afflicted. In verse 13, why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself you will not require it. Did you notice that verse 6, verse 11, verse 13 quote the words and thoughts of the wicked person. So that is done quite frequently within the context of this Psalm. In verse 1 Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? The the psalmist was bewildered at God's inactivity in the midst of wickedness. Now, the word translated why in verse 13 is not the same Hebrew word as used in Psalm 10 and verse 1. Why has the wicked spurned God? It's not the same word, but it's the same idea. But I want you to notice this difference In verse 1, the writer was bewildered at God's inactivity. And now, in verse 13, he is stunned at the wicked's rebellion. Why has the wicked spurned God? He says to himself, you will not require it. You will not seek it. God had said... That he would, in nine verse twelve, seek the blood of those who persecute the afflicted. But the wicked says in nine thirteen, God will not seek it. God will not require it. In verse fourteen, you have seen it. For you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into heart. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. In verse 11, the wicked says that God has not seen. In verse 14, the psalmist is begging. David is begging. You you have seen it. And this is emphatic in Hebrew. You have seen it. God, you've seen all they've done. You are the helper of the orphan. You're the helper of those who are weak. Arise to their help, to their assistance. And, as he says in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out the wickedness until you find none. Verse 15 is an imprecatory statement. Break the arm of the the wicked a statement also found in Ezekiel uh, 30 in verses 17 through 21 break the arm this psalm doesn't appear in list of imprecatory psalms uh, often Uh, and this shows us the difficulty of characterizing these psalms but this psalm does have imprecatory elements but God's judging the wicked is also God's salvation of the righteous. God breaking down the evildoer is a statement of him protecting the innocent, the afflicted, and the orphan. In verse 16, The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. The word nations was used six times in Psalm 9. And in verse 16, we have this reference to them in Psalm ten sixteen, The nations have perished before you. In verse 17, you've heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their ear to vindicate the afflicted and the oppressed. The man who is of the earth may cause terror. No more. in verse in Psalm nine, verse nineteen, as again we're trying to draw attention to some parallels with Psalm nine, the Bible said, "Let not man prevail." Don't let man, in his arrogance, prevail against the helpless and the afflicted; but here uh, God is said to bring down the wicked that man, the same word used for man, as in psalm nine nineteen may cause trouble no more. There are so many connections between Psalm nine and Psalm ten. we have not done. Uh, an adequate job of calling attention to every one of them, if you want to request of me some notes, uh, I can give you some some that will maybe help you more. but Psalm ten is largely a lament, talking about the wicked, how ungodly they are, and asking God to judge them and to vindicate. His righteous people. In most of Psalm 9, the enemies are outside of Israel, while most of Psalm 10, the enemies appear to be within Israel. But the writer was astonished that God could stand so far off in times of trouble. But I want us to do something a little different now as we summarize Psalm 10. How many of these words that the psalmist cries out to God, how many of these words could be used by Jesus to talk about how he was treated in his time on earth? For example, that first question in verse 1, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Do you know that the Gospels tell us that when Jesus was arrested, that his followers stood afar off? When Jesus was being crucified, his followers are standing afar off. They're standing at a distance. These words the psalmist uttered to God could have been uttered by God to man. In the life of Christ. Psalm 10 verse 2. Psalm 10 verses 1 and 2 talks about God leaving us in in times of trouble. At the opportune time. And Judas was looking for the opportune time at which to betray Jesus. In Luke 22 in verse 66. And just as the wicked seize the righteous, they plot against them and they catch them and seize them. So Jesus was arrested and plotted against and seized. We have said that the terms used to describe the innocent sufferer are piled up more in Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 than in any other two Psalms. They are the afflicted. They are the innocent. They are the orphan. And yet the ultimate picture of an innocent sufferer is Jesus. And just as the wicked lurked in hiding places, seeking to catch the righteous, in verses 9 and 10, so Jesus' enemies were lurking around him, waiting for just the opportune time to betray him. Our Lord is king forever, in Psalm 10, in verse 16, even as he hangs upon the cross, and he has an inscription written in three languages. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You're going to benefit more from reading Psalm 10 over and over, but I hope this podcast can help spur some things to look for, things to emphasize in looking at this text. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord continue to bless you as we carefully examine the text.